You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. everybody and welcome to modern musicology my name is alan and steph is here with me hello everybody and rob is here with me hey greetings and salutations and we have a very very special guest with us this is mr ricky bird singer songwriter guitarist solo artist former member of the classic lineup of joan jett and the blackhearts Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, and so much more. He has worked with just about every artist under the sun. And when I say that, I mean, it ranges from Alice Cooper to Mavis Staples. I mean, it is, you you run the gamut, my friend. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, and welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you so much. And that gamut's uh, not easy to run at this age. (laughs) (laughs) You've done a lot. I I don't think it's easy for any age. Yeah, you've done a lot. And I want to that end, I kind of want to just give the listener like an overview. I mean, Alan already sort of started that with with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee part, which is just so cool. Um, With, you know, you're known for being the guitarist with uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. But of course, you've recorded and toured with Roger Daltrey and toured with Ian Hunter and Southside Johnny. Like Alan said, you've played with everybody from like oh, Paul McCartney. And well, that, that was and at Grand the Rock Nash. Hall. That was it. Yeah. I know. That's crazy. And I do want to talk about that. Um, you have been, uh, you're called, you've coined the term recovery troubadour and you're a keynote speaker. Um, You've been sober for over 35 years, and you're a certified addiction counselor coach using music and lyrics and just your experience, basically, to inspire change in those struggling with addiction. Uh, You have three incredible full-length albums, an EP, and a great live album. In 2012, you co-wrote a song with your friend that's now considered a recovery classic, Broken is a Place. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So you recorded a demo of that, you put it up on social media and the response was overwhelming. And that's basically when you realized how strong the combination of music and recovery could be. So out of that came 2017's Clean Getaway album, then 2021's Sobering Times. And now we have some fantastic new singles, Glamdemic Blues, Alien, and the soon to be released Luann, all out on Wicked Cool Records, hopefully leading to another full-length album. Please welcome Ricky. Yay. Well, (laughs) Yay. You said it all. You don't need me, so I'll be going. <laughs> Peace out, yo. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so, um, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, we want. Well, let's. I want to go back to the beginning and just first see really what sparked your interest in music, and just and talk about when you know when did you start playing guitar? How young were you, and were you singing at that point as well? Um, well, like most people, my demographic. Um, I be, wanted to play rock and roll. I mean, first of all, I grew up I grew up in the Bronx, right? And I lived mm-hmm. there until I was like 13. Then we moved to Queens. But there was always music going on in the house. Not rock and roll. I mean, we for a while after my parents got divorced, we lived with my grandparents. So there was always like Dean Martin, Sinatra, you know, that brand, which I love to this day. 
Um, I mean, nothing makes it puts a smile on my face, like going into a, a secondhand store and going through the rack and finding like a good Sinatra record, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was always that music. And then, of course, uh, every Sunday night at eight o'clock, if you're, you know, in that, if you're over 40, uh, was the Ed Sullivan show. And Ed Sullivan, for those that are not of that age, was he was a newspaper man, and he he had no personality whatsoever. You've seen a million people do his impression, and um, he started this variety show. They gave him a variety show every Sunday night. It went from like I think it was like 1947 till the 70s or something. Um, And he would have on. uh, He had a great eye for. Not necessarily picking talent, but knowing what people would love or, or would right. make people watch, right? And um, he would have on uh, Robert Goulet, in like in one night, Robert Goulet, he'd have like uh, like the cast of a Broadway show. He'd have on um, uh, a comedian like like uh, Charlie Callis. Okay, you could Google that. And like a serious variety it was, show. It was like a variety, variety show. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, and then he'd have like a rock and roll thing. It started with like Elvis. I mean, Elvis, the, the, the famous Elvis uh, appearance where they only shot him from the waist up. Yeah. And um, which I have a funny story about that too, but remind me later. <laughs> um, so 19, I think it was 65. I was nine years old and um, – I always had a transistor radio. I love, you know, I always listen to music. And being from New York, we had the greatest radio in New York. AM radio. There was, wasn't AM anything, radio, yeah. no such thing as FM yet. And um, the great stations, um, you know, WABC, you know, MCA, they played everything on one station, right? So it would go from Trini Lopez to the Kinks to Sinatra, you know, that kind of thing. Which is, I mean, I told Stephen Van Zandt, this this is that's what i get out of underground garage it's like he goes from he's all over the place and it's great because for me it gave me a wide range of you know soaking up to do of different styles of music now these days the stations are so uh separated even on sirius xm except for van zandt you know, you got the Bruce station, you got this station, you got rap, you got, they're all separate stations. So unless you know to go to the different stations, you're going to just be uh, listening to one style of music. But when I was that age, there was all this kind of stuff coming out of one station. And, you know, I'd be sitting on the roof in the Bronx while my mother had, like, there was a card table, she'd be playing cards with her friends. And I'd be laying on a sheet on the tar, you know, (laughs) in August. 110 degrees in the Bronx <laughs> and you know you could see Yankee Stadium from from our window uh, kitchen window and stuff and I'm you know I'm still a Yankee fan obviously I know yeah, that that's another part of me that should be in my goddamn bio I know it really should um but um we one Sunday night the Beatles came on or the, and you know the Beatles and the Stones it was right around the same time love the Beatles you know you heard them on the radio it wasn't like today we didn't know what anybody looked like really or what their background was or so for us coming out of the other generation where it was tuxedos and, and Frank and this one and that one, to see the Beatles and the Stones on there. So the Beatles, I, I, I fell in love with the Beatles like everybody. And if you want to know which Beatle I was, I was George. Okay. Um, you know, everybody picked a Beatle, yeah. right? When you were a kid? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know Beatles are the Stones, but I, I liked them both. But I must say when I saw the Stones, I was like, ooh, 
that looks nasty. <laughs> we can get into some trouble with that music, you know. Uh, and they right. came from more of an R&B blues mm-hmm. feel. And there was something that attracted me. And, you know, that was in 65. Like in 69, uh, well, so, so I saw the Beatles and the Stones. I asked my mom for a guitar. Her boss, she worked at a handbag company in New York. Her boss, for one of my birthdays, soon after, I can't remember exactly how long, gave me um, gave her a gift to give to me, which was a no-name acoustic guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my first guitar. That guitar is in the Rock Hall now. They have that in the I was going to ask yeah. what is in there, so you answer that question. Okay. It did yeah. get, it was, you know, we were talking before that this, where, where I'm sitting right now, was a finished basement that got trashed in Hurricane Sandy. I mean, like we lost half the house. I got most of my stuff upstairs, but that guitar was down here. So like the top of it kind of peeled off a little. Um, But with that said, it it gave it a real Pete Townsend after the show vibe, (laughs) which I thought was really cool. You know, so they have that. They have that there. Oh, man, that's cool. And, you know, like I believe everybody, everybody can do something well. Now, not everybody finds that thing because life distracts you in a million different ways. You know, somebody's a great chef. You know, they love cooking or they or they 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 could open a car hood and they could take the engine apart and put it back together. You know, I could figure out songs off the radio. Not well, but like I could, you know, come up with the basic riffs. In fact, in at PS 73 in the Bronx on Anderson Avenue, I came in one day with my guitar. It must have been show and tell or something. And I played I stood in front of the class and I played Happy Together by the Turtles. And I'm and I sang it. Um, once again, don't get any impression that it was great. You know, it was just, it was like, I'm sure it was pretty rough, but that song I picked because it was there, down, 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 you know, it was a good riff that I could pick off the radio. So that was my thing. And I, and that was it from that moment I was signed, sealed and delivered. The stamp came in 1969 when I saw the famous Rolling Stones, top of the pops video of them doing jumping jack flash with face paint and dark lights and brian jones with like you know makeup under his eyes and this and, and keith and i just went oh i want to do that <laughs> that was it let's go rob banks you know i mean that was like that was like the defining moment for me it was like man this because if you can't you know if if you can't um wear a white hat, you know, wear a, wear a black hat, I guess, you know, and, and I just love that kind of music to this day. When you're talking about learning songs from the radio, mm-hmm. did you have a way of recording them oh, God, to no. play back? Because, because I remember, you know, when I first started listening to radio, you would have to wait until the station would play the song oh, again to see if you got the part right and to, you know, figure out what you did wrong if you didn't get it right. No, there was not, there was nothing like that. I mean, there was a, there was a reel to reel in my house. Cause my, my uncle is still to this day into um, uh, all kinds of gear, uh, recording stereo gear, you know, this and that. In fact, he worked at Lafayette um, Electronics. Anybody know that name? I okay, don't, it was a, a no. New York electronics store. So when we moved from the Bronx to Queens, uh, Lafayette was right on on Northern Boulevard. I, I grew up right right next to Flushing High School in Queen in Flushing. Um, and there was that electronics store, see, and my uncle worked there every, so every year they would bring back the, um, he'd bring back the, um, catalog and it was all like speakers and receivers and stuff, but in the back, see, was musical instruments. 
<laughs> and black lights. Remember, it was I'm talking about the early seventies. Yeah, oh, yeah, and all that kind of jazz. And um, there's a guitar. There's a picture somewhere on Facebook of me playing my first electric guitar. So I got the amp and the guitar from Lafayette Electronics. It looked like a, a Gibson 335, but it uh, wasn't. <laughs> I think it was called a Maestro. I can't tell. I can't remember the name, and I can almost see the name on the headstock. Um, but that was that was about the time where I got my first little cassette recorder. You know that we all had like mm -hmm. a little Sony or something. And I remember that because I remember recording the last night at the Fillmore. They had it on. Now, now we're into FM radio, right? FM radio all of a sudden is a thing. So AM, right. bye, see ya, AM. We're listening to full albums now. And uh, listen to, uh, you know, WNEW, uh, you know. Yes. Um, with all the great Scott Muni, uh, all the great Scott DJs. Um, Scott So. Scott yeah. So. <laughs> um, and they played, they were live from the Fillmore East the last night. And it was record. so I recorded some of that. So that's when I might have started taking songs off the radio. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And and um, yeah. it's interesting. I know I'm all over the place, but I only I'm a little young for the Fillmore East. Uh, I went to like three concerts there, and mm. at the end, towards the end, and uh, my my place was the Academy of Music on 14th Street, which is where I saw everybody. And it was like two shows, eight and eleven. You know, I was just a kid, man. I was 14, right. uh, and um, it was 8 and 11, and it was like, here's a bill. Jay Giles, Black Oak, Arkansas, and Humble Pie. <laughs> you know, one bill. Oh, wow. You know, and it was all always like that. And and, the, and it became the Palladium, and now it's NYU. And they tore the building down and stuff. But that, that, yes. was, that was really my concert venue, you know, besides going to the Garden and stuff like that. And then uh, and my clubs were like Max's Kansas City, which I also went to with Phony Proof, the fam famous Max's. Yep, totally. Uh, yep. Nobody's was before Max's. That was a place on Bleecker Street where, like, you'd see Jimmy Page sitting at the bar. You know, it's like a real, it, it's a Chinese restaurant now. Wow. I walk by there and I stare and they go, man. Like, if they only knew. <laughs> These egg rolls can talk, I'll tell you. <laughs> 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 you know, the memories yeah, thing. Yeah. Oh, and man, and we, so we used to walk from, from Nobody's to Max's. When somebody turned me on to Max's, in fact, I just wrote a song called "What a Time We Had." That I, if I if this becomes a full length record, I'm going to end with that. And one and oh, one right of the on. lines was, you know, I worked uh, um, working harder to no future job for the clothes I wore Saturday night. Didn't we all do that? Right? Yeah. Because at the time, wow. the 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 place to be was the back room at Max's, and you damn well wanted to look just right, you know. And that was the deal. Because oh, and then the next lines are. Uh, because every rock and roll band that came through New York City would go there after their show. And where they would go, the girls would follow. And that's why we would go. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, that's oh, not that's just – that's the truth. Yeah. You know, there was like – that was the place where everybody would wind up at Max's in the back room. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many – David Bowie and Angela walking in or, you know, oh Mata Hoople, my Mata Hoople story where I stood around the – they played the Eras Theater in 73. So you don't even have to ask me questions. It's uh, <laughs> okay. We'll just listen to you yeah. tell stories. Just you know. Martha Hoople played the Eras Theater in 1973, which I went to because I love Martha Hoople. And um, Queen opened. It's their first time in New York. And and then they went to, everybody went to Max's. And I stood with my friends. I'm still friends with a couple of them. 
We stood around the back table was where they put the rock stars in the back room. See, and I stood around there staring at them, gawking at these guys, you know, in my head going, man, I wonder if I'll ever get to do that. And then like 20 years later, I'm like Ian's guitar player. I know. Right. That's like full circle. <laughs> yeah, It's sick. <laughs> I probably didn't even answer your question. No, you did. It doesn't okay. matter. The stories were great. Freeform. Think of yeah, me as, as Lenny Bruce with a guitar. Just freeform. So <laughs> since you've got stories, um, can you kind of talk a little bit about how you ended up recording with Daltrey and uh, touring with Ian Hunter? Okay. So uh, I played with Joan from 81 to 91-ish. Um, I did yes. come back and do a VH1 special later in that decade with her and, the you know, the, whoever was playing with her then. And... Um, my friend Gerard McMahon, see, he's a producer, he's an artist. Um, he was producing, he was friends with Roger. And I met Roger once with Joan when we opened for The Who. But um, he said, I'm doing Roger's next record. I think you'd be great for it. I pulled in Tommy Price. Yes. And um, he's a great drummer. Uh, and I pulled in a bass player. I pulled in a bass player that I met at a recovery meeting named Sean Solomon. He's no longer with us. He wound up playing with Ronnie Wood on his solo tour. And and uh, we were the basic, you know, the, the basis for the band. And there were a couple of other cats in there. Um, Jody also, Jody, the percussionist that always plays with the Who and, and with Roger. And um, he, he said, do you want to, uh, you know, I think you'd be great in this. He said, we're go me and Roger are going to go to this club in the village. Why don't you come down and jam with us? So, you, you know, Roger gets to play with you. I can't remember the name of the club. It wasn't Bleecker Street. It was the street behind Bleecker Street, north. Mm, Great Jones. Um, I can't remember, and I can't remember the name of it. I could see it. He went downstairs. Little, little. Yeah, Great, little, probably Great little Jones. Little club, or you know. Yeah. And we did. Um, there's there's another picture on my Facebook page somewhere. Um, we did uh, Born on the Bayou. We did a couple of songs. And then, then we we got together and we wrote at Gerard's apartment in the West Village. You know, I co-wrote a couple of songs with Roger and Gerard, another guy, Dave Katz. Um, and then we went into the studio. We did half of it here, and then we did half of it in at Abbey Road, which was a trip, mm. of course. There's pictures of me sitting at the piano, you know. That view, you know that famous picture when they were in the little room upstairs and you could see into this giant room? Yeah, I got, yes. I got that picture. And, wow. um and then we came, the record came out and we did like a radio tour and it, a couple of TV shows. We did Letterman, Dennis Miller, Regis and Kathy Lee. Uh, and Regis was out that day. And, and I think it was, it was Dickie Smothers. It was Tommy or Dickie Smothers was there. Oh, man. And oh, wow. she sang with us. Um, her singing was okay, but she smelled great. <laughs> Kathy Lee. Uh, but, um, <laughs> and you know, and the Letterman thing you could find on YouTube and, and stuff. And we did, um, remember Rockline? We did Rockline. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I remember that show really yeah, well. We did yeah. that. And, um, we played a couple of benefits. Uh, we did a thing, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore, when they were married, had a benefit here in New York or, or, I mean, I don't know if it was in, maybe it was in LA, but they came to New York and we did this benefit. I think I did it like two years in a row. Um, and, um, we did that and the story, but the story with that one quickly is we're at soundcheck and we're doing, um, behind blue eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. mm. So I see that Roger's got a wireless mic and we do behind, behind blue eyes. We get to the big 
loud section. And he's just holding the mic. And, you know, after we finished the rehearsal, I said to him, excuse me, Roger, aren't you going to swing the mic? <laughs> and he says, you think I should, Ricky? I said, dude, I've been, I've been waiting 20 fucking years for this, bro. That's why I'm here, buddy. Swing that goddamn mic. And, and they, they, they hooked him up with a, a, a wire, you know, they took the wireless mic away. And in the middle of that part, I hear, this, this, this. and I look over to my, my left, or was it the right? I can't remember. And and the mic the mic is coming within inches of my face, and he's got a big oh, gosh. Roger grin on his face. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. So that was the Roger thing, you know. And we're still friends, you know. I, every time it's his birthday, or something, um, and I went to see them a couple of times and went to visit him. And this mm-hmm. the family went before COVID. Yeah. And then Ian was Ian just called me and said um, it was right when uh, right around when Mick Ronson passed away. Ian would do this Scandinavian tour and then wind up in England every year for a couple of years. And he said, would you like to come with me to England uh, and and do this tour? Um, and we'll, we'll pick up like a, we'll, I have a Swedish rhythm section, and another guitar player there. And I said, well, let me think about it. Yes. Right. <laughs> so that was freaking amazing and there's there's a couple of i i i know i posted it in my videos on facebook there's a there's a thing where we're doing uh uh, the water festival which is a yearly i don't know if they still have it big outdoor festival in stockholm and uh you know it was a weird thing we got there we got to stockholm we rehearsed with the band and and then something happened with the promoter like the whole tour fell through so they said well you could either go home or give us a week stay in stockholm and hang out and we'll put together another tour. So that's what we did. I wound up going to like 12-step meetings in Stockholm by myself. It was great. Um, and in fact, I, there was one time we went to a club. And oh my God, I can't remember the club. I'm in there and I see Robin Zanders all of a sudden in there. And I know Cheap Trick since <laughs> since the band Susan that I was in on RCA. Yeah, That's where I met, oh, yeah. I met Cheap Trick in Cleveland. at Swingo's, the famous hotel. Uh, we were all playing uh, in Cleveland. But um, so so we started doing the gigs, you know, and we would go to the way it was supposed to go was we were supposed to be on a boat, see, and we would pull up at docks all over Sweden and there'd be a stage set up. So that fell through. And then we started doing clubs, clubs, small theatery, not theaters, but small places like the Ritz kind of place. And then even some really cool like hotel lobbies where they. In, in like these towns that looked like it was out of a Disneyland, in, you know, a Disney movie, you know, with brick on the floor, like when you get cobblestone and stuff. And and you'd go into the hotel and you'd come back down from your room and it'd be like 800 people packed into this lobby wow. with a little stage. And, you know, for me growing up, I'm not the hoople. You could imagine it was a trip. But I remember we got to England. And remember, Mick Ronson had just passed away. And we get to, um, we play this gig in this really cool place. I can't remember the name, which one it was. A big place, big theater. And everybody had our Mick Ronson hats and, you know, we miss you, Mick, you know. So I tried to just do my thing. But when I got to um, all the young dudes, and I'm getting oh. the chills now, um, you know, and I played it, we played it the whole, you know, a bunch of times before that, see. But the live Ian record, welcome to the club or something. 
there's a live Ian record. So Ronson would play it really soft. And then Ian would go louder. And the band would kick. Well, he mm. did this at this club. So I was already emotional because everybody had to make Ronson. Uh. And he, when he said louder and I started, the band kicked and I started playing the riff, I like literally started crying. Oh my God. Oh, like I had man. to turn around. Wow. You know, it was just like, wow. And then I started to think about me standing around that table in Max's. Yeah. And I was like, wow. yeah, man, I'm pretty blessed with the cool people I've been able to play with, you know? And, um, That's so and, and, you know, yeah. my list, all the people that, that it lists that I've, it says toured with, recorded with, or, you know, been blessed to share the stage with. And that's a really mm -hmm. long list. And the reason is, is because I do, or, you know, I did, I've done a few since the uh, pandemic slowed down, but uh, a lot of events where I'm in the house band, you know, with me and like Liberty DeVito and Will Lee and Paul Schaefer or Rob Arthur from Frampton's band. And we're backing up Mavis Staples and, you know, Sam Moore and, you know, this and- Hey, it counts. Uh, hey, it counts, yeah. Yeah, so that's the list. Of these people that I got to do three songs here, four songs there. I mean, yeah. dude, played three songs with Brian Wilson, sitting right behind Brian Wilson. Like I got a picture of him when I was in soundcheck. Just, you know, do you imagine you're sitting there and you and you're doing in my room with Brian Wilson? No, I can't. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's. I looked at Jeff Kazee was on that. We looked at each other. We were almost in tears. It was like, wow, this is sick. Yeah, and even Mavis Staples, <laughs> you know, you know me. Mm. me that's to me, that's like, uh, I love her so much. So yeah. she came at Soundcheck. First of all, she gave more at Soundcheck than most people do in the real show. Let's just put it, mm -hmm. let's end that right there. Mm -hmm. She came on stage. She didn't know us, but she came over to each one of us and she went, Hi, Ricky. Nice to meet you. Great to play. She knew everybody's name. Like she made it oh, a point. Oh, wow. Very sweet. And I got to speak with her and her sister, who's I think passed away since then after the show. Very spiritual. Um, so we're doing I'll Take You There, and I'm starting. And ladies and gentlemen, now as they're about to introduce Mavis, I'm going, I have no idea what the riff is. I, I got nothing. Like, I there. can think of Start Me Up. I'm thinking of, well, you know, I have no idea. That's not right. You know, And the harder I thought about it, the tighter it got. You know, oh, yeah. And she comes out, that lady, maybe Staples, she turned around and she gave me the biggest smile, and my fingers just went, dan, 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 dan. oh, wow, how chilling. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fabulous, man. And and, and the whole list, I mean, playing, you don't know, uh, no, what, what did we do? Um, Soul Man with Sam Moore. And, and how about three songs with goddamn Smokey Robinson for, for crying out loud? I know. Right. <laughs> Wow. And and Bernie okay. Williams was playing second guitar with me, or I was oh, playing nice. second guitar with him. So that was that whole Yankee tie-in as well. That's why I love going to your to your website on that photos page because you've got photos of every one of these things, and you I just like try to name who's in the pictures with you. Yeah, and you know so, we've been grabbing yeah. pictures. My website's got tons of pictures. I got to get people to tons. go to rickybird.com. And you can still get my records on there, by the way. And I always do these like bundle deals yes. and stuff. Um, but I, I've got all these pictures up there. And I, I always, I, I said, you know, maybe I should like title each one. And I'm like, nah, there's got to be like 300 pictures up there. Easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going right. through them some more today. Right. So I know you talked a little bit about the others, but, you know, working with 
Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson's kind of frightening itself because you're standing behind, you know, friggin' literally Brian saying Wilson. like right to is yeah. right. And, and you talked about Smokey, but what about Stevie Wonder? Because Stevie Wonder is notorious for being um, really hard on his bands, just like just really like he wants a certain thing done a certain yeah, way. Yeah, but that was and... that was at the Rock Hall. That okay. was part mm. of the, you know, people always say, man, you played with uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo. They say, man, you played bass with Paul McCartney and Ringo. And also there's some great pictures. I made a point to go over to Paul when it was my solo. That, that's right. another story. <laughs> um, you know, Paul Schaefer was the, the, and the, and the most dangerous band was the, the, the band that night. And so at Soundcheck, you know, and it was like Gary Clark Jr. And there was Billy Joe Armstrong and there was Joe Walsh was in the amp next to me and, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, they told me that Joan wanted to use her own band, that a new band. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. But you're going to be in the finale with this one and that one. And Paul and Ringo, okay, that works for me. Um, <laughs> so uh, sound check. Paul said, OK, uh, Billy Joe, you do the first solo. Uh, Joe, Joe Walsh, you do the second one. Ricky, you do the third one. Gary Clark, you know, whatever it was. And I noticed that nobody was actually being, you know, like going over to him. Yeah. And my, my bronze brain said, I'm never going to have this chance again. <laughs> right. So I went, there's these great shots of me. They're on my, on my page. There. They are. So and he's good. like smiling at me and watching my hands and stuff. Cause I just, I just, was, I just went straight to Chuck. I threw all my riffing out the window. It's either I threw it out the window or I just couldn't think of anything. Cause I was so in shock. <laughs> I played the same riff, the whole rap solo. He was like, what are you doing? No. But I was like, Chuck, I just Chuck buried him. And he seemed to appreciate that, you know? Yeah. And I got real, mm. and he smiled, and this is some great smiley pictures. But so there was those guys, but also to my left, on the other side of Joe Walsh was Stevie Wonder, Patti Smith. Um, who else was over there? Oh, Peter Wolf from uh, Jay Giles, one mm. of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe somebody else, but I can't remember who else was there. I mean, it was it was power packed. And, and, you know, forget about that, bro. It's like when I had to give my speech, thank God they had – the speeches up on, they didn't want you to look down at the podium. So they put them up on the teleprompter. And I was like, fabulous. Cause when I looked down, it was my, my record collection. It was like, you know, this one, Paul and Ringo and their wives and Joe Walsh is sitting in front of me. And this one, and Carol was sitting to the right, you know, with the, uh, oh um, Gary Ryan and this, and no gap. Well, Gary was on stage with us, the bass player, mm-hmm. But there were like all these people I grew up listening to sitting in front of me. And I was just going to start like babbling like Jackie Gleason. <laughs> so luckily I, I looked forward. I looked straight ahead, you know. To like the monitor. To the monitor. Thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. I mean, the only thing that was like the thing that was really surreal. Uh, and I took, man, I took so much time writing that speech. They kept telling me the producer was a friend of mine. It is a friend of mine. He kept saying, dude, make it short, man. I don't want to have to cut you. So I wrote like Neil Simon, like it was important that I was funny too, to me, you know, and if you listen to it, you can find mm-hmm. it on YouTube. I did. I wrote some good lines. Um, and, uh, uh, but the moment I said, and I grew up watching the Beatles and I went like this and I looked down and there was Ringo and Paul McCartney. And I was like, wow, that was fucking weird. Oh man, it must have been hard not to like burst into tears almost. It's just. That's interesting. People ask me that, but no, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You're in, so in the moment. You're so in, mm-hmm. in the surreal bubble that no, I when, mm-hmm. I get emotional now when I look at it a- and I get nervous now. I wasn't nervous that night at all. Even playing with ah. McCartney was the bass player. That was it. 
Interesting. I just made my first visit to the Rock Hall Museum uh, like uh, two weeks ago or so and uh, sat in the theater for a little bit and just watched a string of performances Mm -hmm. from different induction ceremonies. And I saw that performance and I was so excited because I was like, that's Ricky Bird. I'm going to be talking to him in two weeks time. (laughs) So I loved it. It was fantastic. And, And you know what? There's a lot of people that, you know, every time the, the Rock Hall comes around, you know, everybody's arguing on social media about, wow, yeah. they don't have it. It's a shame that it's a travesty that this one's a, it's all crap, you know, it's, yeah. let me tell you something. You know, first of all, it's always people that aren't in it that say that. But um, besides, <laughs> besides that, um, I got involved, that house band, uh, for a long time, like seven years in a row they'd have an event. So in other words, they used to do it one year in Cleveland, one year in New York, one year in Cleveland. Yeah. And it was at the Waldorf for a while too, if I remember correctly. But in Cleveland, they would have a big benefit, you know, for kid to get music into schools. And I was yeah. in the house band. I mean, every, we did Duke of Earl, dude. With, with, <gasps> I, that was one of the first songs that I ever knew when I was a kid. I My grandma had that album and I would just play that song over and over and over. <laughs> well, we did it with him. So so Gene Chandler, now we didn't know this at Soundcheck, but they go, ladies and gentlemen, the, please welcome the Duke of Earl, Gene Chandler. And and, and then you hear, <laughs> oh, we were told to vamp. So we're going, Duke, ah. Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl, Duke. And we're going, okay, where is he? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we, we see like a pin spot way at the back. It was the convention center in Cleveland where like oh. the Who played and like the Beatles. And there he is with a cape on with red belt, satin on the inside, walking yes. slowly to the beat. Of, it took him like nice. 10 minutes. To get to the oh, my God. While we stood there going, <laughs> yeah. dude. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you just heard as yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they say that Gene Chandler never walked anywhere slowly. That's kind of like one of the legendary stories about him is that he made sure he always had, you know, the perfect sort of clothes to wear. Yeah. Hey, if you wear a cape, you're okay forever. by me, bro. <laughs> you know, not everybody can not wear Not everybody a cape, can wear a cape. But, um, uh, and you were talking about, uh, Stevie Wonder being, uh, rough on bands you know who turned out to be a sweetheart but we did it one of those things at the rock hole sheila e and, oh, and we did a couple of you. you know prince songs obviously she was at rehearsal man she was like serious business you know like yeah. eddie money was fun you know he was just like a, a blast hey ricky how you doing hey. like he'd lean in <laughs> in the middle of we'd, we'd do one song and at the actual show, and then he'd turn around, he leaned in between me and Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special. He goes, can you believe people still like this shit? <laughs> wow. He was really funny. He's a great guy, though. But Sheila, he was like, and there, and I was standing right behind her, and I get to do a solo. And somewhere on YouTube, there's, there's this thing of the piece of song that, I can't remember what song it was. It was a Prince song, I believe. But she was wow. serious business at rehearsal. She was like, Attention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you play this part and make sure you play that part. And then mm-hmm. after the show, I would talk with her and she was like a doll. She learned that from Prince, though, because sure. he would drill his band like for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Yeah. So those are two people. So, but, you know, Billy Squire, we played with, a, you know, there. And, and uh, we did um, 
Life is a Highway with that cat. Oh, yeah. Came down. Um, that was great. Yeah, that's a good We played with every, song. and there were a lot of really giant artists we played with. I can't remember anybody right now, but it's on that list. And this is all <laughs> like raising money for charity, basically. Yeah, for, for, for the, the schools, to get school, money into schools. Oh, I know what I was trying to, I was, the point I was making is, so every time we were there every year, see, I would take a walk through the museum. Yeah. And I would get a chill, if not more, like tears, when I would see Sam Cooke's tuxedo. Muddy mm. Waters guitar. Yeah. The, the shirt Keith Richards wore on blah, blah, blah. You know, like the, like the New York, the famous uh, uh, New York Madison Square Garden show, that little red sparkly vest thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is a trip. Elvis's outfits, you know. Yeah. yeah. Keith Moon's wow. drum set with the famous logo. And, you know. Yeah. So when people put that shit down, I'm like, yeah, I could, I could see the politics of the actual that part of it but the dude the museum my guitar's in that goddamn museum and i'm proud of it that's right, right on. And, and they right keep on. they keep switching you know mm-hmm. f- for uh display displays yeah i did a recovery thing there a couple of years ago uh with um i did two two years in a row one year i brought michael debar my pal michael debar and and then one year i brought uh genya raven my other pal yeah. and uh kathy valentine and yeah. liberty my liberty devito on drums Right. And my, my co-producer for all my stuff, Bob Stander played bass. And um, they they put a display in the main lobby, which was very sweet of them. And it was my goddamn Les Paul, the Isle of Rock and Roll guitar next to with my picture in the net. And just, you know, I know I sound, I'm, I sound like I'm 14, but and, and, and the little you know explanation and Chuck Berry's shirt, like one of Chuck Berry's shirts and a picture of him wearing it live. Yeah. And I'm like. Yeah, see, this isn't right. You made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. it was very emotional. It was like, wow, man, I never thought I'd see this. That's sick. I mean, I guess I can I can see you see that, but you know, when people you you achieve such great, you know, heights of fame too for for those years with with the black hearts and stuff. So I mean, you know, you gotta you 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 deserve that credit too. And you well that's nice I of mean, you. It's but so it's true, still though. a trip. Yeah, I can. Yeah, you know, I just think. I just um, just picture me, the little nine-year-old sitting cross-legged in front of the big box TV in the Bronx. Yeah, watching mm-hmm. Sullivan and seeing the Stones yeah. and going in my brain. Yeah, sad. Yeah, down, 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 You know, and then yeah. there I am, and all this stuff happened. You know, and and it's, you know, I mean, I I work hard and and. I know what I'm doing, but so mm-hmm. much of it is where you, you know, luck, people who, you yeah. know, like placement, um, you know, so all of these things combined. And of course, Carol, Carol introduced me to everybody. Like I said, at the rock. Hall. I know. Cause she was the PR person, right? Like she, yeah, was- well, she also, but she also, in, even when she was my girlfriend, she introduced me to mm-hmm. Joan. Cause that's a whole lot. We how- have to go into that. Yeah, yeah. But but um, they had an office up at Lieber Krebs where Carol was the publicist. And I that she introduced me to Joan, right? Um, uh, before that, when I was in that band, Susan, on, we were on RCA. She was friends with Tommy Mottola and brought him down to a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then we got signed to his um, production company and we had an album out on RCA. So like I said at the speech uh, at the Rock Hall, if it wasn't for Carol, I'd be selling cologne in, in Macy's. Probably by now. <laughs> we love you, Carol. Excuse, excuse me, <laughs> sir. Would you like to try this scent? 
Don't even. <laughs> it's got this. It's the scent of rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> but the Ricky, scent of desperation when, is what it is. <laughs> when you when you were in in the Black Hearts, were you were you thinking ahead to like I have you know were you writing your own songs then and were you did you ever kind of have that vision of this is going to end one day and then I'm going to go and do my own thing like I want to know how you you came to start writing and and also co-writing with other people because i know you had the publishing yeah, deal i had a sony me. publishing deal for three years back you know at that point i was disappointed about how that the thing worked the publishing deal yeah. thing you know because you, you you brought up thinking about like the old days where they'd say the temptations are upstairs they need a song and what exactly right they'd write you write a song on the spot whoever was writing it and they'd bring it upstairs to the temptation no, what they would yeah. do is they would just make a reel with like 40 songs and just throw it against the wall. And and it was, you know, for us- that That's kind of why we didn't sign a publishing deal with the Aquanetas. Like we do, we just were like, I don't think that's worth it. Well, the it. money was know. fabulous, but the but the, mm -hmm. but emotionally, you know, I could see how it works because I recorded up there at their studio and, and it was just like, you know, you're faceless really, you know, and, and you, you write songs, you know what, like, like I bleed I lyrics, like- over and over and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit and you know and it's just like all right we've got 30 songs that rod stewart might like we'll add yours <laughs> i was like oh well, wait a minute that's mm. is that how it's done now yeah but um what was the question oh, oh so well so i mean were joan. you thinking about it at that point when you were with joan or no i mean were you uh, i think i started to think of it i got sober so i was with joan in 81 um, I got sober in 87. So my mind was a little bit more active into thought process of what could come next. And also the touring and, and the, 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 the whole, I mean, God bless Joan. Like she's out there. She's going to do this summer tour with Brian Adams. I, like I couldn't see myself doing yeah. this anymore like that. You know, <laughs> I, I'm happy yeah. with my, you know, you fly me out. I do an event. I come back two days later. Fabulous. Right. You know, I yeah. play with my friends, you know, and I come back and it's over. Um, yes. I can't imagine that, that touring thing, but when I got sober, I guess I started thinking about like, what could be next is I was burnt out, you know, now I'm sober and you know, a lot of things that seemed okay back then didn't seem okay when I got sober <laughs> and, um, and it was just time to go, you know, and I got, uh, no, no, we had, we, there was no hard feelings, at least on my side, you know, we, me, me and Joan didn't have an argument or anything. It was just like, okay, 10 years and change. Good run. Yeah, I'm going to stay home now for a while. And I got the Sony publishing deal. And it's like, I could stay home now and just write songs. And, and you know, mm. every song that I cut, I got. I got. Sony didn't get me anything. Mm. Interesting. Mm. But, um, and then it took me forever. Like this stuff that you're hearing, starting with, with Lifer, which was 2013. Yeah. And, and Clean Getaway, Sobering Times. And the stuff like Glamdemic Blues and Alien. And this is what Ricky sounds like. Yep. It took me forever right. to figure out who I was because every band I put together in New York sounded like a horrible Stones band with bad songs. You know, I mean, because I, I didn't know who I was yet. Yeah. And, and I just kept writing and writing. And, and, and then I started, you know, at one point I did my acoustic No Band, No Headaches tour. Maybe that's where I met you, Steph. Like the bitter end. Or I met you. I met line. you at a. 
bottom line it was actually before that at another show like another um cover show where we all well that was great the like, bottom line that was one of those cool i mean i still do these things in new york like joe hurley calls me to do the irish rock yeah yeah, yeah yeah i did so, a recovery event the, at the winery a couple of months ago that was fabulous for people who don't know there was a there was a series of shows called the beat goes right. on that ricky and i did together a lot and i was like the backup singer it was basically we there would be a theme and we'd all play and together it could be it of, could be 60s music it could be the right. it could be the rat pack yeah i did a gogo song one year yeah. yeah it could be anything we did a phil specter show so and there and then we get cool performers like phoebe snow would yes, come and play uh, and like you know oh, wow. she was so the many she was. Oh, wow. She, besides being a great singer. <laughs> I have a singer, great dressing room story about besides that. Besides being a great, the, one of the greatest singers ever, she was just funny oh, yeah. as hell. Yeah. But um, So all the, anyway, these shows, sorry, go ahead. And that's where I met Christine Ullman. Yep, me too. You know, um, Liberty, I met at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, the first one I did. I started playing acoustic, see? And one of the writers that Sonali turned me on to was, uh, you know, they, the best part about it is they, they got me, they hooked me up with different writers. You know, so I wound up doing um, acoustic. It got to be, the band thing got to be like too much, you know, because <laughs> I, I was always picking the wrong people, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing yet. And I didn't know how to lead a band, you know, and I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I didn't know who I sounded like or what I sounded like. So I started to play acoustic and I play the bitter end and I play here. I did an acoustic a tour of, um, of uh, Belgium and, and just all, I played all over the place. And I find that very easy, you know, cause I, I have a good sense of humor. So I'm easy on the stage. I'm, and you know, I learned how to do it. In fact, I just did a thing up, up in Connecticut last month at the Warner theater acoustic, haven't done one in ages. And, you know, I had to relearn my songs. <laughs> And and I really enjoyed it. I was so scared to do it. But once I started playing, I was like, oh, I could do this. Then I started to do stuff at the bitter end where like it was me on acoustic and it was like Simon Kirk on drums from Bad Company Mm. and like Chasm Sultan on bass. Or or we had Tom Peterson, my friend on from Cheap Trick on bass. So now you see me slipping in a person here and there, you know, a little. And your record, your live record. Right. Well, we did that. Which I love that. Thank you. We did that. We did that just to get gigs. That was just supposed to be to get gigs. And it's such a good record. It was such a great show. Yeah, that was a good, you know, I don't even do any of those songs anymore. You know how it is when you're a songwriter. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like, some of them were pretty good, but it's not like I wrote, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody or something. Um, <laughs> I would argue that Wide Open oh, is wide almost open. my well, favorite song of yours song. ever. Wide Open. Yeah. Open, yeah. But I don't even, I don't even, I haven't done that in ages. I mean, I have, I have, a couple of new ones that are of that vein that are not about that was a song about being dumped or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But I have songs like this is a couple of songs on uh, lighthouse that I wrote with Richie super. That's like that kind of, it's like an Otis Redding kind of riff that was on mm-hmm. the um, sobering times. Was it on clean getaway or sobering times? I can't remember. Um, so I have songs for that. When you're doing a set, you know, you, you can't do five of those kinds of songs. Maybe I'll pull it out mm. at some point. I I put together weird chords. Like I do a lot of drop D stuff. So like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna like put on wide open. I'm gonna go. I have no idea what those chords are because it's all right. drop D and it's all weird. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so it's like I'll <laughs> never be able to figure this song out. <laughs> I can't it figure out. my own song. But, but then out, that started. Um, 
then there was like nothing for a while. And then I was just doing a lot of these events. Um, and then I did the Lifer record when I just put together, you know, and that's a good record. You know, it's a good rock and roll straight up record. It's nothing fancy. There's no theme. It's just regular rock and roll straight up. You know, some cool songs on there. And then um, I did. Um, I remember that uh, 2012 or it's either eight or 12. I think it's 12. I was having, you know, if you're in sobriety long enough, you'll have periods where you're hitting a wall. You know, you don't use or anything, but you're just like, you're lost. I called my friend Richie Supa in Florida. And he said, um, I told him, and he said, well, why don't you come down here? We'll, we'll do what we do. We'll put it on paper. And we wrote Broken mm -hmm. as a Place. That was the song we wrote. That was 2012, by okay, the way. Yeah. I'm awful. <laughs> with my timeline is like ridiculous. Um, and we wrote that. And like I, I did a quick recording, I put it online. I started getting messages from people in recovery from around the world. Wow. And I went, well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Maybe I could do something with this. Um, and then the other thing that happened is he was doing, he had a song called, Richie had a song called In the Rooms. Um, and uh, and then the rooms is what they call like, you know, 12 step stuff, where you go. And um, he said, I'm doing an outdoor event in Florida. You know, he's in Fort Lauderdale. Why don't you come down? I didn't, Broken wasn't even a thought yet. Broken is a place. Mm -hmm. So it's before that. Maybe that was 2008. He said, why don't you come down and play? You can play Isle of Rock and Roll, play some blues. You can play on some of my stuff. Great. So I went down there and, you know, I, I recover out loud. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't talk about the, the details about, you know, 12 step stuff, but um, recovery, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about it if they're struggling or whatever. And um, I go down and do this gig in a park and it's all set up like with tables on the sides where they're selling like recovery T-shirts and bracelets and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we play. And then after the show, number numerous people came over to me and said, oh man, I grew up on your music or your guitar playing. It's so cool. You're in recovery. You know, I'm mm. in recovery or my uncle's in recovery or my father's in recovery. And I, that, again, that was the first time I went again. Hmm. <laughs> you know, mm. makes you go, makes mm. you go, hmm. Yeah. You know, and then Broken came. And then once that happened, I had one song. And then I wrote a second song. And the third song, fourth song. Now I had like about six or seven songs. And in my travels, because long story short, but uh, me and Richie hooked up with this third person and we started doing, we put together this rock band, recovery rock and mm -hmm. roll band. And we did events in Florida, you know. Um, and I met some people from treatment facilities. And I, one of them down there had a satellite one up here in Jersey, actually. And I called them and I said, what if I came there with my guitar and did a group? Yeah, sure. And I came there and I started doing these recovery music groups. And every time I played one, so I had like six songs, seven, and the rest was, it was for an hour. And then the rest is I would talk. Every People would come over to me afterwards and go, where could I get this music? And mm. this went on for months until I finally went, yes, I, I better put it down on tape. <laughs> ding, ding, yeah. ding. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where Clean Getaway came from. Wow. And, and so, it's clean, so now I have Clean Getaway, this record. And what I would do is I would do more of these treatment facilities, but I'd bring a stack of clean getaway records and I'd give them to the clinical director and say, hey, give them to the clients when, when they leave here. 
That is wow. so generous. You know, wow. I mean, I, you know, I sold them for real also, but I, I mm-hmm. you know, and that paid kind of for me to be, to be able to, to give them that. away. Um, yeah. But, um, and I still to this day have people that find me on, on social media and go, dude, I still listen to your record. I saw you in treatment like, you know, 10 years ago or something. Wow. But um, that's time to do a second record. Now I'm still in that mindset, bro. I can't write anything but recovery songs. That's where Sobering Times came from. Which I love that record oh, so that's much. So nice. Starlit Night and Poor Me are like, I love them so much. Yeah. Now, interesting you say that. That's great because I kind of got reliant on co-writing and I said, I want to start writing by myself. Not that I have anything against co-writing because I wrote a song with Willie Nile, you know. Yes. And, uh, you know, I would lean on Richie Super a lot. Like, what do you think of this lyric? Can you add him? And so I wrote Starlit Night and Poor Me by myself. (gasps) Look, I, I just picked those two, yeah. <laughs> but those are really, I love them so much. And funny enough, I did an event with Rich Pagano on drums uh, I love at the winery a couple of months ago. It was a recovery event. Steve Earle, Roseanne Cash, yeah. Marshall Crenshaw, a bunch of people. Oh, yeah, like I saw that on Rich's thing. And yeah, Rich, yeah, yeah. Rich Pagano said to me, I'd like you to, and the band, you know, we had, the, the, we had a, a band also, um, Steve Conti, Rich Pagano. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the drummer's name all of a sudden. Um, and, and he said, um, I want you to open the show. So you're going to do I'm 18 by Alice Cooper, but I want you to come out and do the first two verses of Starlit Night. And me, in my divine wisdom, said to him, hey, what if I do it a cappella?" And I got home and I said, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what in God's green earth would make me volunteer to sing something <laughs> <laughs> and to open the night. Wow. Dude, <laughs> That's so crazy. I saw Steve Earl before the show and I just said to him, you know, and Steve's son passed away from uh, fentanyl. Um, mm. And uh, and I said to him, and I'm, you know, I'm pals with Steve. Like during the Yankee season, we text back and forth. I said, dude, I am so, I'm shaking right now that I got to go out there and open the show. And what would make me do that? Ah, oh, just good. You'll be great, man. Just go ahead, do it. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, and I went out there and I went, and, and it was people talking, right, ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Bird, right? And I just went, let's go down by the river's edge. I'll bring my old guitar. Once I did that, the place went silent because it's such a fucking mm-hmm. hook. Like that is so. The song yeah. is so fucking great. And I just, my brain was going. I was trying to remember the lyrics. First of all, yeah, and and not be frightened and sing on key, and um, and it went okay. So, wow, kids, if you're listening, <laughs> that's what Rob always says. You think you are, <laughs> you know, uh, and fear is good because fear makes you better. Not not yes, not not Carly Simon fear where you, you don't want to play live, right? But 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 right. You know, it, it made me. I mean, I practiced a million times, but still, until I said those those first two lines, and I and the place went silent, and I looked around, and people were like staring at me, and I just went, "Whoa, this is serious." I got their attention. <laughs> now what do I do? Yeah. And I finished. I finished. Um, I finished the two verses and the choruses. And then we went, you know, went into mm-hmm. Cooper. <laughs> and yeah. it was fabulous. With that said, I'll never volunteer to do it again. Thank you. <laughs> right on. You said something a second ago that was really, really interesting. And you said that you recover out loud. Right. 
So people don't die in silence. That is such an interesting phrasing. It's not and mine. I want to know what it is that motivates you to be so public. I mean, addiction and recovery is such a personal journey. I want to know what it is that motivates you to to recover out loud like you well, do. Well, first of all, there's anonymity in, in the rooms of the 12-step rooms, right? So I'm not talking mm. about 12-step rooms. I mean, right. I could say that I'm a, you know, I go to uh, community support group meetings, you know, but I don't delve into you know, the details, mm-hmm. but my recovery is my recovery. And I'll say whatever the hell I want about it. And I, I just noticed that people, uh, I'll tell you where I first started the last black heart record I played on. Um, no, oh my God, again, I can't remember the name of it, but I was wearing uh, a recovery. I still have the same one, uh, thing around my neck. And it was on, it turned out on the back cover, it, you, you could see it. And I started getting mail, Real mail, <laughs> you know, wow. it was that long ago mm-hmm. saying, wow, man, that's so cool. You know, I'm in recovery. And I just went, wow, I didn't think anybody would even notice that. Mm-hmm. I just started to notice that when I talk, talked about it, like I have my Facebook page and I have my, my recovery troubadour page and mm-hmm. I keep them separate. Uh, and, and every day I post, not every day, when I, when I remember, I post uh, from two apps that I have, uh, like, um, daily meditations or something why mainly because i forget to read them you know i got a stack of books like every good person in recovery that sits on the side of the bed that you never open but when i get those daily meditations from the app i read them mm-hmm. and then i post them and then you could see i get so many people liking them and saying man thank you for posting that i was a, that's a great i needed to hear that today you know so that's just me wow. you know there were people that talk about it there were people that don't you know you just Mm-hmm. And there are people that have opinions about that. And thankfully, I don't really give a rat's ass what anybody thinks. Um, I just don't talk about the stuff that, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about. Sure. Yeah. You know, for the traditions of, of, you know, 12-step groups. Yeah, of course. But, but uh, you know, there's a lot of rock stars who have gone through this process and they will say something like, I've been sober for 12 years or whatever, but you know, you do so much more than just that. You are so involved in organizations and you're, and you have written whole albums. I think that you are so, I mean, I think it's so important that you have actually walked the walk. You know what I mean? Like you are setting such an example for other people. Well, but thank you for saying that. I don't want to be recovery boy, but, no, of um, course. And and let's make it very clear. Um, I've been a complete asshole in recovery. So don't anybody think that you're perfect when you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I've made some interesting turns um, in in sobriety. You know, so it's not a perfect. It's a process. Um, I mean, the main thing is you don't pick up a drink or drug or anything, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is building a new character and becoming, and sometimes I, I you know, I succeed and sometimes I fail, yeah. but uh, yeah. you definitely, uh, you know, I'm a, definitely a better person than I was, you know, when I was using, but I mean, listen, I wasn't mean or anything when I was using, I was selfish with my drugs, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't think well, it's just like self-destruction. Yeah. Though, I wasn't a really. mean drunk or, or <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I was in total, I was an animal with it for sure. You know, and I almost died, you know, yeah. a couple of times, you know, and um, I'm lucky I'm here and uh, coming up on 36 years, you know, so I'm grateful for that. 
And and also when I work, when I do, when I keep my feet in recovery, whether it's the community support group meetings or helping somebody else or talking to somebody else or they call me or, or now I've, I've, I've been working with this organization that's really cool if anybody's listening that is in recovery struggling. It's called allsober.com. It's an informational site that I thought was really, they asked me to be an ambassador. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing so far is getting some of my friends that in the business or in sports that are in recovery that do talk about it on the inspiration page, you know, because you know what it's like, you know, whether it's right or wrong, people see, Oh man, this guy played for this team and he's been sober for, you know, I could do it then, you know, whether that's stupid Mm -hmm. or not, that's just the way it is. Celebrity nonsense. But, but, um, there's a whole thing. I just keep getting really cool people to be on the inspiration page. And, um, I, I agree to work with them because uh, because I'm out loud, I get a lot of people um, contacting me on social media, asking me questions. Like, I live in Sheboygan, and I need to get into treatment. Can you help me? And I don't know anybody in Sheboygan. So there's a lot of information out there, but it's all mm-hmm. over the place. And this website has everything from you know getting into treatment, aftercare, community, you know, life after, you know, life in recovery, finding other people. Like an all-in-one stop yeah, for, man. for recovery. Yeah, it's, it's, and they're going to have eventually community support group meetings where you could find them, you know. But right yeah. now, it's like if you're in Sheboygan, you go on the website and you put in, I don't know why, I picked Sheboygan because Johnny <laughs> Johnny Carson used to say that was a funny word. <laughs> so I always use that when I'm picking a town. It's always Sheboygan. <laughs> um <laughs> So um, you could go, you go on the on the site. You could go to Sheboygan. You, you can see, oh, this is like you know six miles from my house. This is the insurance they take. This is the clientele wow. they they you know. There's a young clientele. This is a senior clientele. So I think that's going to be really helpful. I mean, this is an overwhelming problem right now. Yes, I mean, there's a million problems going on right now, but that one never goes away, and it's getting and it's yeah. getting worse. And there's so many people that are dying from. Um, overdoses and alcoholism uh you know it's probably tied at this point but uh i don't know you gotta you gotta find something in your life to get back to like whatever your thing yeah. is you know whether it's working with animals like getting them adopted or working you know or helping social yeah. be a social worker or you can't just keep taking you gotta it's amazing if more people gave back yeah you know those people on thanksgiving that you see that go volunteer to serve be, and instead of yes. having dinner with their families, that's give them an award, you know, like that's giving back, you know, and you got to just, right. everybody should find whatever their thing is and do a little, you don't have to, you know. Yeah, you do what you can. You that's what, what can. I found. But just to, try not to just live your life being, you know, walking aimlessly and, and just trying to make your life work because there's so many people yeah. out there that are struggling for all different reasons. You know, mental health right. and addiction, homelessness, this, that, the other, you know. Right. Your your newer s- songs are sort of co- uh, not uh-huh. exactly all about that, right? Yes. I mean, they're it's they're more back to, I mean, kind of like garagey kind of rock kind of pop so, kind of stuff. I signed a signal, a, a deal with, a singles deal with Wicked Cool Records. And that's yeah. Stevie's Little Steven Van Zandt's yep. label. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the last two records, you know, he said to me, you should be on, uh, on Wicked Cool. And um, what I loved about them is their presence on social media, because everything is social media, right? Yes, it is. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. radio really for rock and roll. There's classic rock. Some some college yeah. stations. But basically those days. Or Rob's shows. Yeah, well, but basically those days where like if you had a hit single, like Maggie May, let's say I wrote Maggie May yeah. and I did it, you know, and and then you'd be on the top 40 station and you'd have a huge hit. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist like that anymore. It's just, it's just, but it's natural progression. You know, it's just like your parents listening to Frank and Dean and then all of a sudden there was no Frank and Dean. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. the way it goes. Um, so Underground Garage and Wicked Cool, their presence on social media, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I love the station. Um, I love it too. So I signed with Wicked Cool for this singles thing. Uh, and I made a point. I said, okay, I've written enough recovery songs to last me a lifetime. Um, with that said, Luann, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, now, back to Sobering Times. I wrote, I, I said to myself, let me try to write one song that maybe I could get. I, I'll make it a little bit more, um, what's the word I want to use? Not anonymous, but like, so it's ambiguous? Yeah, like mm-hmm. not exactly yeah. about amazing, anybody. It's amazing that anything. I write lyrics. <laughs> are, sure? are we talking to the right guy yeah. uh, so stronger which i wrote with richie um i come back stronger is not about it's just about being knocked down and getting off the mat and people love that song and i'm shopping into movies and tv and stuff like that but i thought maybe i can get some airplay on this tune you know um it turns out uh steven played what was this which one did he play Oh, together the song together, which is a big glam. I guess it was the, you know, the pre new stuff I'm doing. Yeah. And Tommy Price is um, my my old pal from the Black Hearts is playing on together. So okay, so new songs, not writing recovery songs. We have a pandemic. I'm sitting here for three years in this this seat, and I wrote glamdemic blues, no title, but I'm playing the chords, you know. And then my, my stuff always starts with the music. I, I have never mm. once written a song with uh, his lyrics wow. and then go backwards. I can't do that. Well, I probably can, but I've never tried it and I'm scared to do it. So um, I write this the song, you know, dan, dan, dan. And once again, you know, I've come to the conclusion that Ricky Bird sounds like all the music he grew up loving. That's me. That makes sense. And people said, that's not a bad thing. No, no, I know. But I finally came to a conclusion is, yeah, I'm not Bob Dylan. I'm not going to create some new rock and roll. I'm going (laughs) to just mush everything that I grew up on, which is the Faces, the Stones, Otis Redding, Slade, T-Rex, Temptations, this, that, and the other. Uh, And that's what I sound like. And I love ear candy. So every time I go in the studio with Bob Standard, he's the, my co-producer that we've done everything because we have a language now. Um, I, I want to do stuff on the, on the records that sound like when I was 14 with the big headphones. I was like, what was that? Yeah. What did that, <laughs> that guitar just do? What was that? You know, so I, I make a point to throw those little guys in there, the ear candy. 
But um, so Alien, I mean, uh, Glam Damn It Blues. And then I just start going. And I'm frustrated because it's the pandemic and what the fuck. You know, I said, man, I want to go out so bad. You know, and people are going out, but I'm afraid to go out, you know, and I don't, it's not really time to go out. And then, uh, you know, people have a, a, a gig and then two days later they say, oh man, uh, I have COVID. So if anybody right. was at the gig at, uh, you know, right, I'm like, right. Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> so I started going one Saturday night, one Saturday night, you know, and it went interesting. Okay. So one Saturday night. Okay. That's the title. Write it down. And, uh, <laughs> and then I start writing the lyrics about being, hey, life, when did you get back in town? And, and once right. I got that first line, I went, oh, dude, that is so Sinatra, man. <laughs> this is going to be good, you know. And, and that's what it was. It was a conversation with life. Yeah. You know, just give me one Saturday night, you know. Let me just, can we just. Mm. Yeah. And the music is completely like, you know, I've, people have said to me, oh, it reminds me of ELO and it reminds me of this. And I, and I love all those things because I, I grew up listening to all that. So I do all the vocals myself, all the backgrounds. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that when I was listening to those. I'm like, that's got to be you because it sounds like you doing, you know, I could tell that you, the phrasing and stuff yeah. was Well, you. nobody sings yeah. backgrounds with me as good as like, I can. Right, exactly. Me too. I mean, I I, the I, for, yeah. for the last two records, Opening Times and Clean Getaway, I would have Jeff Kazee and Christine Allman, Marge Raymond, even for a couple of songs. Um, and then I just, for this one, I said, let's just, yeah, do it. Yeah. And and then when it comes to those parts that you hear, we slow it down like the old Mata Hoople trick when I'd sing down there and then we'd speed it up again and it would just sound yeah. slightly different. And does anybody really care? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Right. We just did that first song <laughs> recorded. No one cares. Nobody cares. So, so that's that. And then I said, okay. So I sent it to Stephen. <clears throat> and Dennis Mortensen said, Stephen just got back to me immediately, which is not happening now because he's on the road, Bruce. Um, he's in the rock and roll bubble right now. But um, Dennis got back right back to me. He said, Stephen says it's good as it is. Let's put it out. So Glamdemic Blues came out on Wicked Cool. You know, get a great response. Played the hell out of it. Got a great response. And then I said, what if we put that? I talked to Dennis Mortensen, his producer. I said, what if we, and remember, I said, I only want to do singles. Yes. No, I'm done with, what's the point? What's the, and um, turns out now I have like 13 tracks. And, and what, You've got and, an album. And what is that? Yeah. <laughs> what B-side? So Glamdemic <laughs> Blues, he said, we need a B-side. And I said, well, I did reach out, I'll be there by the Four Tops for the last Sobering Times. But I didn't put it on the record because I ran, A, I ran out of space, but also there was a, a an awful commercial for a uh, healthcare system on in New York that they mm. it was like some kids doing it and I was like oh my god this is probably not the right time to do this oh yeah that's right yeah it that's was just uh, and it would not go away and it, my record was coming out so I left it off so it was the B side and they play <laughs> and uh, underground grabs plays that one too once in a while you know I did a good I did listen it's not the four tops but and and the riff I did. I did real Jeff Becky, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think I did a pretty good job of it for uh, a kid from the Bronx. But um, next, Alien, I have a dream. I'm very disturbed with the world as it is, as probably most people are. And you know, when you're in recovery, you really notice everything that's going on, and <laughs> it's like heartbreaking. And 
So I, I had a dream that I was having, you ready for this? A sit down, like a mafia sit down with a couple of aliens. <laughs> She's hysterical. And, and Van Zant. Now, I'm not sure if he was Van Zant or Silvio. Silvio from The Sopranos. Yeah, he, he was the mediator. <laughs> and I was trying I was trying to buy the human race more time. Oh my god, Ricky. And I woke up and I wrote and I woke up and I wrote Alien. <laughs> that is so fantastic. And if you listen to the words, is there anybody really out there taking stock of yeah. who we are? It must blow your mind since the start of time. We've not come very far because there are those that still fear anyone that might look different than you do. This beautiful world is an, has an ugly side, thinly veiled, you see right through. And I'm like, yeah, this is good lyrics. Yeah. You know, this is like, this is the first time I ever touched on. Multi-layered lyrics. Touched on um, the drain that we are circling as I speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and it's just, <laughs> dude, the chorus, the, the chords are just Dion, really. It's doo-wop. It's those chords, four mm. chords. It's just doo-wop, right? And I'm going, alien, what must you think of us for all we've done to this here mother earth you know it's just that's all it is it's just that feel you know but it's got a lot of ear like in the second verse you hear me going la, 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 you know just like real yes. yellowy mm-hmm. kind of stuff i just love playing in the studio man you want to see me happy you see me in the studio like for the first four hours like five and six i'm just like hit record <laughs> Did you get that guitar line? No, man, I wasn't in record. You're kidding. I can't do that so, again. Do we think Luann is coming out soon or do we know? Luann is coming out that? June 23rd. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, it's not a recovery song. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the one. Yeah, I swore I wouldn't write another one. But if you hear it, it's, it's Luann. Um, uh, if anybody could, you can. And it's about, it's, it's, yeah, it's that it's sort of like you know giving um, encouragement to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's funny is um, <laughs> I called it. I wrote Miss Anne, Miss Anne, Miss Anne. You know, and I and I, I called up Dennis Mortensen. I said, Hey, I got this really cool rock and roll tune for the next one called Miss Anne. He said, Oh, you're doing a Little Richard song? And I went, What? <laughs> he said, Yeah, Little Richard had a single called Miss Anne. Oh, fuck. Damn it. And then I had to think of a name. That fit that, of course. You know, and because it's already in your head, and, I, and you already have the, the lyrics. I thought Luann was a good rock and roll name. It sounds like a song out of like mm-hmm. you know Austin, Texas, nineteen sixty six. You know, Luann. You know, <laughs> done by like Skeeter Jones or something. <laughs> I think I just made that up. You know, and then uh, you know, then there's it, they're just coming, and and that. And so you're just going to do singles. You're not going to have a full length. You think or. What do you think? Who knows? I think you're going to have a full length. Okay, so. <laughs> so there's your answer. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like the, the thing with Wicked Cool is that they're so far in advance. Like if I gave them all the songs right this minute, it wouldn't come out until next fall or something. Oh, you mean they've got such a long oh, yeah, going yeah. on. Right? Would, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I could put these singles do. out every six, eight weeks. So we'll just right. keep doing it until – and then at some point after like four or five singles, I'll say to Stephen – Here's the beginnings of, of some more songs. What do you think? You want to do this whole thing? You know, but meanwhile, yeah. I'm being played all the time and, and I'm just, you know, 
I'm st- I'm going in the studio like once or twice a week. I just did an instrument. I never I've never written an instrumental before, and I just did an instrumental um, for, uh, tribute to Jeff Beck, who was my favorite lead guitar player. Oh wow, that's yeah. phenomenal! Called Rhapsody in Blues. How's that for a title? Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, I do I do do a little taste of the, my favorite Rhapsody in Blue is my favorite melody of all times. When it gets to da, 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 it makes me cry. Like I'm a big Gershwin fan, um, so I yeah. did a teen in the way in the deep fade. I go, ow, 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 <laughs> you know, just a little bit of nice. rhapsody in the little, little tribute. Wow. Yeah, so that that'll come out at some point. And I just got a bunch of stuff, you know, and I just. I'm happy. Everything sounds great to me. That's what's great. You know, like if you, you listen to the stuff, it sounds great on the radio. It sounds great. You know, what's wonderful about, um, underground garage. And if you follow my Facebook page, you see, I've been putting that bird sandwich. It's like, yeah. yeah. Otis Redding. Alien. And then, you know, the Dolly rots. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, how cool is this? I love the Dolly rots. They're playing. There's some great music it, on there right this minute. Great, great mm-hmm. singles. Yeah, I listen to Underground Garage all yeah, the me time. Too. It's in my phone. That's one of the places where I discover most of my new music, and and I really love it. I want you to talk about where people can find all this information about you, all your music. If they if they have questions about recovery, where would you send them? Well, you can always go on my social. I got a Facebook page. I got a Twitter page. I got two Facebook pages. I got Recovery Troubadour and just my straight up rock and roll page. With I'm always posting fun pictures and stuff. Um, I've got a Twitter page and an Instagram page, and you, you you find me on any of those. You know, just say hi, introduce yourself, and and if you got anything to say, you know, if you got a question or anything, you know, I'll try to answer it as quickly as possible. Uh, I think the main thing is, uh, if I could leave you with anything. I'm so glad we had this time. No, that's not right. <laughs> oh, lovely. You didn't do the ear. No, I was like. thinking about it. Um, too cliched, my friend. Right. <laughs> but uh, just try to be kind to each other, man. Like we, we really need extra yeah. kindness right this minute. It's just, uh, we're just crazy. It's, it, it's, it's like, the, I'm starting to think there's something in the water, oh, you know? Yeah. So just yeah. be kind. And, and if you could take a minute, you know, in your 24 hours, try to, take an hour and do something for somebody else you know whatever it is right. you know there's so many people that could use your help and and if you have any friends that are um depressed or you know make sure you contact them and make sure they're okay right. watch out for everybody watch out for your friends mm. what, what who am i <laughs> oh that's so sweet ricky wait i'm ruining my reputation well ricky thank you so much for chatting with uh, us tonight having me man this has been so enjoyable yes yeah you you know you don't when i do an interview carol says dude you talk you just keep talking it's like there was like they asked george burns how do you do your (laughs) thing with gracie allen and and you know how do you how do you do your 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 bits with gracie allen and he said I just asked her about her brother, George, and she talks for 25 minutes. 
And that's the same thing with me, you know. You just asked me about, you know, my, my brother George or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. that's great. I mean, that's why you're a great interview. So and people will yeah. have, you know, want to hear your stories and stuff. So. Okay, good. So that was fun. And, um, and now I'm going to go upstairs and eat pastry. All right. I'll be the same. I'll write you. Thank you so All much, right. Ricky. Well. Take care. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye. Tune in to The Con Guy Show. Con as in Comic-Con. We are Hollywood filmmakers and super fans who cover all the news of the con universe, including the films, the TV shows, the streaming series, the experiences, and the events that fuel your fandom. If you'd find it at Comic-Con, then you'll find it here. Now in our seventh year, The Con Guy Show is a proud member of the ESO Network. Oh, man. Oh, man, that was so fun. Wow. God, that guy is just full of stories and tells them well. And that's like the yes. tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, well, that's why we have to get him back mm-hmm. so we can hear more of them. All right, we're going to be back next week. We are chatting with Tommy Stenson, so make sure you're here for that. Before we go, Stephanie, where can people find more about you? You can find me on Bandcamp under my name. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music, on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds, and uh, therearebirds.com. I have a website. And you can also find me on all the streaming platforms everywhere, like Spotify and stuff like that. All right, Rob, hit us. So um, in a terrifying world where people are buying the new Dave Matthews album, (laughs) Um, you can find a respite from that on uh, two places. Uh, one, I have a show called Antics on Louder Than War Radio. Uh, it's on every Monday from 6 to 8 Greenwich time or 1 to 3 Eastern or 12 to 2 Central. Uh, or actually any time on the Louder Than War Mixcloud page. You can just do it whenever. If you hear hyenas in your yard and you can't sleep, you can turn it on then, right? <laughs> So um, you've got that going on. Then um, Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Central, I'm on uh, Juxtaposition on KDHX. Uh, That show and all of the shows we do are streaming for two weeks. You can hear those at KDHX.org. People got a lot of stuff going on on Wednesdays. So um, a lot of people listen later. You can do that if you want or not. You can just, you know, talk to yourself. Um, You can also find me on the Weekend Justice podcast as well and a few other uh writing places as as well all right and i have a little website called cosmiccreative.com k-o-z-m-i-c creative.com and that's a place where you can find some books that i've written and published by other people and if you need some reading material that's a good place to go and if you're a whovian i've got a doctor who podcast called doctor who a to z and if you are a star trek fan I have a podcast called Earth Station Trek. So if you need something to listen to while you're feeding your pet ocelot, (laughs) that's a great suggestion. (laughs) So we will be back next week with Tommy Stinson. See you then. Take care. Have a great week. It doesn't cost a lot to feed your ocelot. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>